Amen. You may be seated. And if you have your Bibles with you, let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 21. While you're turning to John chapter 21, you'll notice that this is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. We've, uh, we've successfully, uh, successfully come to the end of the Gospel, and uh, this chapter here is a chapter that is not covered by any other Gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, it's not covered by any other Gospel, and here we see Jesus preparing uh, the disciples for his departure, uh, meaning that, you know, Jesus is uh, getting them ready for their ministry after he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And so here in John, in John chapter 21, there's not only great lessons for the disciples, but there's also great lessons for us uh, to consider uh, with Jesus' last, wor- last words to them and uh, his last appearances uh, to them. So uh, I think this chapter is going to be very helpful for all of us as we walk through it together. Uh, in today's passage, uh, Jesus reminds the disciples that, that, they are, that they're called to be fishers of men. And uh, this was their calling in life, and this is what uh, they were uh, destined for, or created for. Uh, let's go ahead and read from uh, verse 1 through uh, verse 14 of John chapter 21, and then we'll jump into it. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter himself, or excuse me, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. That means he went swimming. The other disciples came to the boat, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, Uh, They saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. So as uh, this chapter ends, it tells us this was the third time. Uh, We talked about the last two times that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. Both were on a Sunday. The first time was 
with every disciple except for Thomas. Then the second time Thomas was involved in, uh, in, in that interaction with Jesus. And then now here at the Sea of Galilee. It says the Sea of Tiberias, but uh, the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias was another name for the Sea of Galilee. So we're talking about the same place. And as I said before, uh, this was a special appearance um, just because, you know, Jesus is appearing and revealing himself to the disciples. But also this was an important um, appearance for the disciples to learn from Jesus uh, one final thing before he ascended into heaven. And that thing was that they could do nothing apart from him. That was kind of that was the purpose of this appearance. That's what it seems like. And that's the main lesson that is being taught here, that they can do nothing apart from him. And the same thing is true for us. Uh, what, John, what Jesus said in John chapter 15 uh, still holds true today. That if we're not connected to the vine, we have no life. For the vine has life in itself, and our life is supplied through the vine, which is Christ. And apart from him, we can do nothing at all. And uh, that's something that we need to recognize every single day. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the, to have life itself. Uh, but also everything that is, that is involved in life. Uh, we need Christ for everything, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But that's the main lesson that the disciples are learning here. Uh, one thing we know is that Jesus also uh, promised them that to provide success in their work. And I'm not talking about the work of fishing. I'm talking about the work of being fishers of men. Uh, not only would Jesus sustain them for their work, but he would also uh, give them success in their work of evangelizing. And that is something that uh, we'll see how, you know, that God promises to the church as well. We know that the disciples, uh, through their faithful witness of the gospel, that the Lord built his church. He used them. Uh, men who were rejected, you know, men who were not thought of a very high standard, God used them to, to build his church. And, and he built it one living stone at a time. You know, we, we are his church. Right. We don't necessarily I know we say we come to church, but we actually come together as a church when we are here on Sunday morning. So we are the church and uh, we were built or the church was built by each living stone coming to uh, coming to Christ at their given time. So we know the success of the church where it started, the humble beginnings uh, to where it is now. We can see that Jesus, he, he did not fail them. And in, in providing success in their work. And the same thing applies to us, too. We're all called to evangelism. We're all called to do something for the Lord. Well, we're going to talk about what that is and how the Lord will help us in our work. Um, first of all, I want to look at verses two and three. And I want to start there and kind of just build or go through the chapter uh, a section at a time. First thing that we see in our chapter that is very interesting is the fact that Simon Peter is uh, ready to go back fishing. Look at verse 2. Uh, Simon Peter, uh, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, and then two others uh, who are unnamed, uh, they were together. So that's seven disciples, seven disciples that were together just kind of really hanging out. Uh, Jesus had told them to stay around the area until a given time, and uh, this was within that given time. And all of a sudden, uh, we see Simon Peter, uh, I'm, I'm assuming he stands up and he says, I'm going fishing. 
I'm, 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 I'm ready to go and do something. Maybe he's thinking, I'm ready to get back to normal life. And he says, I'm going fishing. Now, when a guy or a lady says, I'm going fishing today, it's a different story than when Peter said, I'm going fishing, right? Today, when someone says they're going fishing, that means they're going to go having a relaxing time on the water, right? They're going to go have a quiet evening or morning on the water and just enjoy nature and enjoy the time fishing. We look at it as purely recreational. Most of us do. Some people make a living off of it, but most of us look at it as a recreational thing that we get to enjoy. And uh, when I was reading this passage, it reminded me, I need to go fishing. I haven't been fishing in a long time, and I know Jonah's always asking me, let's go fishing, and that's something I need to do. But when Peter got up and said, uh, I'm going to go fishing, he didn't mean it as a recreational sport. He meant it as, I am going back to work. That's, that's what he meant. So Peter stands. He's uh, technically the leader of the disciples, so to speak. He's the one who was always up front, always, uh, you know, talking, leading the disciples. Uh, so he basically says, I'm, I'm going back to work. We've been here waiting. Uh, and while we're waiting, why not? And when you look at his decision to go back fishing, it seemed logical. Uh, for one thing, he needed to provide for his family. We can't blame him for that. Right? So in the midst of waiting, why not go back and earn an income? Uh, go back to what you were doing before. We knew that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were actually in partnership. Because when Jesus first saw them, and called them to be his disciples, they were actually working together, and the Bible says that they were in partnership. They had a fishing business together, so to speak. And so here, Peter's just basically going back to what he's done you know, all his life. He was a professional fisherman, and this is what he did to provide for his family. But also, there were some interesting insights into why Peter would go back to work. There are some theologians who think that Peter here in this, in this instance felt like he messed up so bad with the Lord and betraying him that there was really no more opportunity for him to be a, a full-time witness of the Lord, so to speak. Uh, you know, so Peter, still dealing with the fact that he betrayed him, uh, was maybe thinking this was uh, his opportunity to go back to what he was doing and maybe have a minor role within um, the church and within the the. the the, the, the distribution of the gospel, so to speak. Okay, so that's, that's what some think, and, and it does go in line with what we'll talk about next week when Jesus comes back and restores Peter, and this, of course, it happens here in John chapter 21. So when you start putting those two together, there is some sense there as to maybe this, was, this is what Peter was thinking. The fact is, is that we don't know what motivated Peter to go back to work. We don't know what it was that was he was thinking about, but we do know that's not what the Lord had in store for him. We do know that, right? Because as soon as Peter decides to go back to work, his leadership, he has influence on the other disciples, and they're like, you know what? That sounds good. We're going to go with you. We're going to go back to work. And as soon as that happened, the Lord appears to them. And, uh, when he appears to them, it's kind of a, a reminder for them. 
that who they were, what they did, that has all changed now. That has all changed. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to, to see the comparisons to us whenever we come to Christ. Not that we're going to completely change our jobs whenever we come to Christ, but who we are, what we did back then, we're not that person anymore. Right? We're not that person any longer. That's not what God has called us to any longer. We're done serving ourselves. We're done uh, just, just existing. Now we have a purpose in life, and that purpose is Christ. And that's the sense that we see whenever Jesus walks up to the disciples there uh, while they're fishing, and uh, he calls them out. Uh, not, in a, not in a bad way, but really in a, in a loving way, he calls them out, and, and he teaches them a very vital uh, lesson. So again, we don't know what motivated Peter, but we know that that's not what the Lord had in store for him. See, when Jesus asked Peter to follow him, or maybe I should say when he commanded Peter to follow him, he did so knowing that Peter would betray him. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus that Peter was going to betray him. He told him beforehand that he was going to betray him. So it's not like Jesus was completely shocked when Peter did it. Grace was already supplied to Peter. Right? It was supplied to Peter for the sin that he had committed. So that sin that Peter committed, that betrayal of Jesus Christ, would not void what Jesus did for Peter on the cross. That's something that we really have to understand. Because there are churches filled with people still trying to prove themselves to God. Still trying to make themselves approved by God. The thing is, is we have been saved by grace through faith. And what Jesus has done on the cross is stronger than any sin that we can commit if we have come to him through faith. There is no sin greater than the grace that was displayed on the cross. He died once and for all. There is no need for us to continue to, to work to save ourselves. That's why we worship him as our savior. He's the one who has paid the price. He's the one who has delivered us. And it's him whom we should worship. So Jesus already knew that Peter would betray him. Also, when he asked Peter, or when he commanded Peter to follow him, Jesus also knew that he would sustain Peter to the end. That's a mark of a true believer. That if you are sustained to the very end, because we know that, that Jesus says that he will not let us out of his hand and the Father will not let us out of his hands. They will sustain us to the very end. Yes, there is fruit that takes place in a believer's life and we're always looking for that fruit. And yes, we call each other brother and sister because of our profession of Christ. And that's all good and well to do, but Truly, the mark of a believer is the end of a believer's life. Did that person die in Christ? And here it seems like Peter messed up pretty bad, and it seems like maybe he's thinking, you know, I don't know. 
I know I've been there before where it's, it's early on in, 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 in my Christian life where I didn't understand the doctrine of grace and it was like, man, I don't know, since I did this, I don't know if I'm saved or not. But when you come to the knowledge of the doctrine of grace, you understand that you're not saved based upon what you do and don't do. You're saved based upon what Christ did. But you see, Peter here, he's just starting out. He's still figuring all this stuff out. And this is a great lesson for him to learn, and maybe it's a great lesson for you to learn this morning. When God called you, when God created you, he knew what all laid out before you. But when God created you and when he called you, he also knew that in his power he would sustain you. He willed it. He had determined it already. It was already done. That's a great, wonderful thing that we have in God. See, the Lord told Peter that he would be a fisher of men. He told him that when he first called them. In fact, he told him and a couple of others that he would make them fishers of men. And he would finish what he started in Peter. Now, I wish I could continue with Peter, but I'm going to leave it right there because next week we're going to get more into what, 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 what the Lord was doing with Peter in that moment. Uh, so we'll just leave it there, but there's some things that we can learn as I bring it all together for the application at the end. Next two verses I want to talk about are five and six. I love this because when Jesus walks up to the disciples, they're, they're about 100 yards away, Scripture tells us, and they're fishing. They're, they're trying to catch stuff or catch fish. And, um, and, and they've been fishing all night and caught nothing. And when Jesus sees them, uh, he calls them little children. And I think that's very important, the way he addresses uh, the disciples. That's very important to uh, our relationship with the Lord. So, again, after fishing all night, this is amazing. You have professional fishermen, and they catch nothing. I know growing up, I forget the different fishing shows, but those professionals, they make it look so easy, right? They motivate you to want to go fishing. I remember the guy who wore the Tennessee hat. I forget his name. Uh, he was always doing freshwater fishing. Bill Nance? Bill Nance. There's a fisherman right there. He was watching him, too. And every time he cast it out, every time, it's like, oh, got another one. Cast it out. Oh, got another one. You go and try to replicate that, and you're sitting there for three hours, and you ain't got nothing. And it's like, man, they make it look so easy. So these were professional fishermen who caught, the Bible says, caught nothing. They had, uh, they, they, they had no luck at all there in the open water. And that's with saying that they were very familiar with the Sea of Galilee. This wasn't a, an area where they didn't know where they were fishing at. That's, that's something like when you go visit a place for the first time and you're fishing at, at a, a specific spot and then someone who's fished there for a long time says, oh, you're not going to catch anything there. If you want to catch something, go around over here and cast there and you'll get something. See, that's what the disciples were. They had their spots. They knew where to catch fish. They grew up fishing here. And that night, they caught nothing. 
See, a bad day of fishing can be frustrating. But think about it whenever it's your livelihood. Remember, they're going back to work. No fish, no money. No money, no food. Right? So think about the frustration that they were feeling as they fished throughout the night and caught nothing. But when the Lord showed up, he walked up and he addresses them as little children. And then after addressing them as little children, he asked them, do you have any fish in verse 5? They answered to him, no. Then he said, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And they actually did what he told them to do. I think that's pretty amazing because at this point they hadn't recognized that it was Jesus and you have a boat full of professional fishermen. Some stranger shows up on the shore and asks them if they're catching fish. They say no. And then he says, well, just throw it on the other side. To me, that shows you their desperation. They're like, oh, might as well. We hadn't caught nothing all night. So let's throw it on the other side. It wasn't until after they caught all the fish that John said, it's the Lord. So at this point, it's some stranger telling them, why don't you try the other side? But the important thing here is the fact that Jesus addressed them as little children. See, despite their expertise, despite their experience of fishing throughout their whole lives, the disciples weren't able to provide for themselves until the Lord showed up and provided. That's the way it had been the whole time they'd been with him. Them not even realizing that that's the way it's been for all their lives. And that's the way life was going to be for them from here on out. Everything would come through them through Christ. Listen, we're no different. Who we are, what we have, it's all through Christ. What we've been able to attain, achieve, the Lord has provided everything for us. See, the Bible says in Acts 17, 28, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, that in him we live, we move, and we have our being. I love that verse because it helps me, it reminds me, it calibrates me that there's nothing that I have or nothing that I do that is not in Christ. From, from my birth to my death, everything that I am is in Christ. The creature is always in need of the creator. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord reminds everyone who is listening to him on the Sermon of the Mount. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. That's also one of my favorite chapters. Why? Well, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. You, you can barely handle today. See, but tomorrow, the Lord has tomorrow in his hands. Although you can't handle tomorrow, the Lord can. So what's the use of you worrying about tomorrow? Because you cannot change tomorrow. But the Lord, he is sovereign over tomorrow. See, what we have is what the Lord has provided for us. There needs to be some security in that. As we face tomorrow, 
Here the disciples are still waiting and I'm assuming there's a lot of questions. And maybe one of those questions was, how, how are we going to live? How are we going to provide for our families? Sometimes we detach the disciples from their families. And it's just like, well, it's just these, these guys here living on their own with Jesus and they don't have a family to worry about. No, they had a family to worry about. How were they going to go and evangelize and preach the gospel and provide for themselves and their families? I would have had tons of questions. And the Lord answered them all whenever he showed up there on the, sea of Gal- on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was no different. He was the one who was going to provide for their everything. So, yes, what the Lord, what we have has been provided by the Lord. What we need to do is we need to find contentment in what the Lord has provided us. Without the Lord, we have nothing, and without the Lord, we are nothing. Now, the last two verses that I want to go over are verses 9 and 11, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up with an application of what we've talked about. Verses 9 and 11 says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, what we have to recognize is that this is another miracle of Christ. He showed up, addressed them as little children, and provided a miracle for them. And, you know, Jesus has worked with fish before. In fact, twice he multiplied the fish to Freed the multi- to uh, feed the multitude. But here this miracle comes after John says what the purpose of this book is. Pastor Laramie preached on that this, uh, uh, this past Sunday. And we learned that the purpose of this book was so that everyone would see these signs and wonders that Jesus provided and what he did so that we may believe. That was uh, the purpose of the book. And so when Jesus appears before the disciples, this is another reminder, this is another aid for them to have faith and believe. And we can see every time that Jesus appears to them, they they have less problems believing that it's him. In fact, this time it said no one dared to say anything, for they knew it was the Lord. So every time he appeared before them, he gave them faith to believe through the signs and wonders that he did. As we read what's happening, the purpose of the books, it stays true for us as well. We are to read what we see on these pages through the lens of faith. And we are to believe. See, this miracle, like many others, had a deeper meaning and its message was to the church as a whole. I I love what some theologians say about this. And believe me, whenever I read this myself, the passage myself, and I was looking at it, this is something that I didn't identify or I didn't see beforehand. There are many times whenever you look at a passage and you break it apart, you study it before you, break it, before you look into a commentary, 
and you get to see some different things. But this was one thing that I didn't make the connection, and I started reading of, of some other theologians, and I thought this was a great point. And the point was that this miracle was assigned to the church, and that the church would have success in evangelism because of the Lord. This great catch. See, the disciples were working all night trying to fish, and they were trying to work under their own efforts, and they caught nothing. The Lord shows up, and not only does he provide for them so that they can have something to eat, so that they can have something to provide for their families, but he is also providing for them spiritually, so to speak. It symbolizes the Lord's sustenance and his power and and, and everything that he gives to the church so that the church can have success in evangelizing. We, saw, we see in the book of Acts how, how the Lord adds to the church, and we must all understand that's how people are added to the church. It is the Spirit of the Lord that draws them in. We know that the Father is the one who draws them. The, the, it's through the Son, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this particular catch was so big that it should have torn the nets, but what? The Lord sustained the catch, he's sustained the net, that they were able to bring this huge catch in. Immediate success, but only when the Lord determined it. To me, that's so refreshing. That's so refreshing because if, if you've been in ministry for as long as I've been in ministry, there's, there's a lot of times when it doesn't seem like anything is happening. And there are a lot of prayers that go up and it's like, Lord, help us, please. And then all of a sudden, the Lord provides. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. The lesson here is that the Lord is still at work. I think sometimes we lose track of that. We're not mindful of that. The Lord is still at work, and being a fisher of men is needed more than ever. We are all called to evangelize. We cannot neglect that calling. We have to look for opportunities. That's what the Lord created us for, and that's what we need to do. See, the church needs to return to evangelizing the lost. Where God has us. You know, it's, it's, I don't know how long this has happened, but I know as long as I've been a Christian, I've always heard of the mission field being in another country. Right? It seems like we always are focused on our, the, the Christian church, the mission of the Christian church to evangelize people in other countries. But as we look around here, Christ is needed in the United States more than anywhere else. I think the church for a while forgot that they need to evangelize here as well as over there. So there's wonderful opportunity for all of us to be fishers of men. And listen, the Lord has already provided. He has already promised. He has already shown us that he will give us what we need to do that. Now let's wrap it all up together. As we look at these three things, first thing is Peter, right? Peter going back to work. 
Uh, the thing I want to point out there, and I think something that we need to hear, is that we need to realize that we need to realize who we are first and foremost. We are Christians above everything else. You see, we like to associate ourselves, or we like to categorize ourselves in earthly terms, and and that's that's fine in a sense. But we can never forget where we come from. We can never forget our calling. There are some who are staunch Republicans. There are some who are staunch Democrats. And that's what we identify ourselves. That's what it seems like everybody identifies themselves as nowadays. There are staunch mask wearers and there are staunch, I'm not going to wear a mask. And that's what we identify ourselves as nowadays. There are Presbyterians and there are Baptists. And that's what we're going to identify ourselves as. And then, then, like most people, we identify ourselves with what we do for a living. I think we do that most of all. Whatever it is that we do for a living. And it's easy to do that because that's what we do, right? We think, okay, this is what I do most of the time. I spend 8 to 12 hours to 16 hours a day doing this, this must be what identifies me. Looking at Peter, it seemed like that was kind of what was going on. If I'm not following Christ, I'm a fisherman. I'm going to go back to what I was doing. What we need to realize is that we are Christians above everything else. We see people struggle with this, this, this lack of identity in Christ, because, I mean, there's proof to it. There are people who pay tons of money to ensure that they have the education to attain a profession that they are proud of. That's why, I mean, I'm not saying that's the only reason why people go for, you know, go to college or, or, or do something, but they want to do something that, that is, that is going to make them proud. Right? They're going to do something that's going to make them proud. Something they can say whenever someone asks them, what do you do? They can proudly say, I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a this. I'm a that. What if I were to tell you, every single person in here, you were meant for so much more than that. What you do for a living is not who you are. It does not define you. Rather, who you worship defines who you are. The Bible reminds us that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God has prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. To me, there's, there's the purpose of our life. We were created for him. To worship him. To be used for his glory and his honor. We're Christians above anything else. And we should never forget that. You are the Lord's and you were made to worship him. And the Bible says obedience is worship. Don't ever forget that. Second of all. We are the Lord's little children. As he walks up to the sea, 
He sees them having trouble. He calls out to them and says, little children, throw the net on the other side of the boat. They do, and they catch this big fish, or they catch this big uh, haul of fish. Now, what we see here is that God is omniscient, God is omnipotent, and God is omnipresent. And I'm actually going to borrow from what I consider a wise friend and a great brother in Christ, Brother Gary, during our Bible study yesterday. He said something that really caught my attention. And I, and I, I want to paraphrase what he says because he's a lot more eloquent than I am in speaking. But I will say it this way. When God is omniscient, God is omnipotent and, uh, omnipotent and God is omnipresent. It means he always knows. He always, he's always able. And he's always there in his totality. To me, that's so important. Because we're worried about how we're going to provide how we're going to do something, how it's all going to come together. And we cannot, we don't know everything. We can't be everywhere. We're not always able. But the Lord is. And he is that way all the time. And that's the part I love about what Gary said yesterday during the men's Bible study. In his, he's all these things in his totality all the time. There's not just a portion of him that's here and a portion of him that's here. No. He is the sovereign Lord all the time. And he has promised to sustain us for our work. And then the third thing, the promise of success in evangelism, this great catch that they had, pointing to the church and and how the church, even though it would have great struggle, it would still be able to do what the Lord called it to do. See, God has called us to be faithful in evangelizing the lost. And his desire is that we be obedient to that calling. See, the results of evangelism, well, the wonderful thing about it is that they belong to him. This was one of the, the major changing uh, points in, in, in my life whenever I, I, I realized that, that it's, it's the Lord, is, the Lord is the one who saves and it is the Lord who the, who, who's the one who adds to the church. It's God who does all that. I remember trying to preach and at the very end trying to come up with some kind of catchy phrase, some kind of catchy thought, some kind of way to convince you all that you needed Christ. Or that you needed this truth that I was preaching about. And I am not a good salesperson. I could never really get that hook on the end. That's the way I felt. I could never really bring it together to have this altar just full of people. And then I realized. Not by my might, by my power but by the Lord's. He is the one who convicts your hearts. He is the one that moves in your hearts. He is the one who speaks to you through the words that I use. 
He is the one who is in charge of evangelism. He is the one who deals with the results. What we have been called to do is be faithful. We know the gospel. Share the gospel. Leave it in the Lord's hands. Pray for the individual. But know you've done your job whenever you've been faithful. As I said before, it is the Father who draws the lost. They come through Christ, and they are sealed by the Holy Spirit. What's amazing about evangelism is that how God has chosen us. We are fragile earthen vessels, but we carry around this wonderful and precious message, this treasure of the gospel. We need to do our job in sharing it. So when we talk about his provisions, we need to understand that they are not without purpose. What the Lord does for us, as we look at the disciples, he provided for them in order for the, so that they could do their work. But then he also made their work successful. See, these blessings that come to us, they're not without purpose, not just so that we can just enjoy them. What God blesses us with, even in ministry, whenever there is a fruitful and wonderful catch for the Lord. That all has a purpose and it all goes back to God. It's not that so it only benefits us. So, yes, everything has a purpose. And, the, and first and foremost, it's to bring glory to him. It's to bring glory to God. Also, we need to remember that his provisions and his and, and his blessings there to sustain us for the work that we have. But then also his purpose and his blessings are to give us a way to bless others. We need to remember that's what we're called to do. It's not all about us, but it's about the Lord. As I call the praise and worship team up here, we're going to have our time for... Um, for prayer. Uh, during this last song, you can stand and sing. You can stay seated in your chair and pray. If you want to pray with somebody else, you can do that as well. Uh, but this is a time of reflection and prayer from what you just heard. So uh, let's all take advantage of that and do that. <clears throat>